You know, God is a good God. And he's come to lift us up, come to restore, come to meet needs, come to challenge our lives and our hearts. And it's so important to understand God is for us. And I found in this country, many, many people have a, such a negative attitude. And I just want to announce it right at the start. 72% of this population in this country, when surveyed by the government in the last census, 72%, that was uh, 42,079,000 people in this country on a voluntary question, which they need not have answered, said they were Christian. 72%. Now, a lot of them don't go to church. They want Christian values, Christian ethos, Christian ethics. They believe in what we believe in, but I believe that we represent those who are living in the Spirit, alive in God, and they want a voice, and they want to hear, and what they need most of all is they need leadership. And so the whole purpose of the pastor's conference is to get one of those who's been really trained up by his father, uh, Oral Roberts, and what better than get a man of experience? My dear friend Archbishop Bensonido, who's always said, if you want to learn anything, find someone who's done at least twice as much as you have. It's a pleasure always to invite someone who believes in miracles. And you know, right now, we have someone who's a dear friend to us and He's a man who is president of Oral Roberts University and has been president now for 12 years, I think, 12 years. And uh, I've sat with him um, when we did our Doctor of Ministry classes. We're both together and, boy, uh, we learned a lot. It was good experience. And he's a man of experience. He sat at his father's feet. And really, it's an opportunity to hear what God's going to say to us this afternoon. So open your heart. Let's give a real warm welcome, Richard Roberts. God bless you this afternoon. Lift your hands unto the Lord today and just begin to praise him. Begin to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Just lift your voice unto him today. Give him thanks. Come on, give him praise. Let's have a corporate time of praising and worshiping. Thank you, Father. We bless you today. We give you honor and we give you glory. Thank you that your presence is in this place. You are here at Wembley today. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for angels here surrounding each 
minister of the gospel. Thank you for their congregations, for these hundreds represent thousands. And we thank you and we give you honor and glory in it. Thank you, Father, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. May everything that is said and done this afternoon and tonight bring honor and glory to that name which is above every name named in heaven and earth, the name of Jesus. We praise you and bless you. Lift your hands one more time and thank him and give him honor. Give him glory in this place. God bless you. You may be seated. I hope you'll take out uh, paper and pen. I hope you'll make notes today because I did not come just to give you three points and a poem <laughs> and send you home. I, I came to bring you life. Can you say life? Better than death, isn't it? <clears throat> Praise God. I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Bishop Reed. Thank you, Dr. Ruth and all of the Michael Reed family. Thank you to everyone at Penile. Thank you. Uh, to all those who've come from Brentwood, thank you to this choir. God bless you. First of all, I want to bring you special love and greetings from my father. How many of you have, how many of you have heard of Oral Roberts? Let me see your hands. I know him personally. <laughs> Praise God. The Bible says that he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. We have that represented here today. You represent thousands of people in your congregations, not only here, but in other nations. And so in sowing into you, I am sowing into thousands of others. And I give you permission to take what I'm going to say today and use it for God's glory. No one has a copyright on the truth. And so I, I, I freely donate what I'm going to sow into your life today, and I pray that it will be a blessing in your life. I heard the story of these two pilots that were flying their single-engine planes over the Pacific, and one was flying his plane while the other was flying his plane. Both of them developed engine problems and crashed on the same remote desert island. They were both spared, and, uh, and they met each other on that island, and uh, they looked around, and one said to the other, uh, there's no food, there's no water, we're going to die. And the other said, no, we're not going to die. I'm a Christian. I'm telling you, we're not going to die. After a few hours of looking, they found no food, they found no water. He said again, I'll tell you, we're going to die. The other one said, look, I'm a Christian. We are not going to die on this island. After several more hours and finding no food and no water, he said, we're going to die. This is, there's no shipping lane. No one is going to rescue us. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. We're going to die. The other one said, look, I'm a Christian. Not only that, but I tithe. I tithe 1,000 pounds a week. That's 4,000 pounds a month. Believe me, my pastor will find me. I want to share something with you today that I believe is a revelation from God. When my father and I sat down together only a matter of hours after my mother went home to be with the Lord, he said to me, Richard, my son, give me a reason to continue my life. Now you can imagine how I, at 56, looking at my 87-year young father, felt when he said to me, give me a reason to continue my life. And I began to pray in the spirit. 
And as I prayed in the Spirit, God began to give me revelation and gave me a number of reasons why my father should continue to live and continue his ministry in health. And I gave him those reasons. And when I did, he looked at me as only my father can do and said, all right, I'm going on. And that was it. If you know anything about my father, when he makes a decision, that's it. There's no turning back. And he made a decision. He made a decision, Bishop, he was going to continue. And so I thank God for that. And in that discussion, he began to share some things with me, which brought some things back to my memory from my childhood as we discussed my growing up years and my mother's participation in my life. And in that, I want to share with you today. I want to share something that I believe is very precious. Open your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 10. This message is especially for those of you who are ministers of the gospel. I believe that it will be a blessing. Luke chapter 10, and I shall read uh, verse 2. Then Jesus said to them, the harvest truly, by the way, someone's getting healed in your right shoulder, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let me read it one more time. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this or his harvest. May God add his blessing to his word. Many years ago, when I was a teenager, I learned how to drive on an old American-made Pontiac, which had a standard shift on the column. The shifter was right on the column beneath the steering wheel. Some of you may remember those kind of automobiles. And it had three speeds. You came down and in for first gear, you went up and out for second gear, and you came straight down for third gear. And you know, you know what I'm talking about? They had those kind of cars. And that's, that's how I learned to drive. I was about 14 or 15. Driving age in the United States is 16, but I began to practice earlier in my grandfather's car, my mother's father. And his, his youngest son, my, my uncle, my youngest uncle, who's only three years older than I, uh, taught me how to drive a column shift. And I would be driving along and suddenly I would need to go faster. And I would say, what do I do? And he would say, it's time for you to shift gears. Now I want all of you to take your right hand, come on, take your right hand like, like this. And I want you to reach up, I want you to grab hold of the shifter. Have you got it? Now just, just act like you're in second gear and you need to go faster. Now push in, don't forget to push in the clutch because bad things happen when you don't push in the clutch. Push in the clutch with your left foot. Don't use your right foot because your right foot's on the accelerator. All right, now, now, now push it in. Now pull down. Now when you need to go faster in that manual shift car, what do you do? You shift gears. For that gear that you're in will only take you so fast. When you need to go a little faster, a little farther, you shift gears. Now, one more time, I want, to get this, I want to get this in you. I want to get this in your spirit today. Reach up and shift. This is something that I think most Christians don't do in their lives. 
I think it's something that many ministers of the gospel do not do. They do not learn how to shift gears. Now, I don't know how you interpret this scripture that, that we just read. I don't know how you interpret it, but I have had a little difficulty with it. I have wondered why my harvest has not been any bigger. Has anyone ever asked that question, why has my harvest not been any bigger? Let me see your hands if you've asked that question. Six of you, yes, the rest of you are lying. <laughs> why hasn't my harvest been any bigger? Ask the person next to you, why hasn't your harvest been any bigger? Come on, ask them. Oftentimes, lately, I have said to the Lord, Lord, where is my harvest? I have sown so much seed. Any of you feel that way? I've sown so much seed, I feel like my seed is this high. Where is my harvest? Have you said that? Have you wondered that about yourself? Well, the Lord showed me this passage in Luke 10, verse 2, and my mind was suddenly opened up to a brand new world. I didn't know. Listen to me, my fellow ministers of the gospel. I didn't know that the harvest was going to be so big. So much bigger than the seed that I had sown. Then the Lord took me back to a time that my mother and I planted a garden. I was a little boy, and out behind our home, we owned an additional piece of property. And she and I together planted a garden. And she gave me little seed packets. You know what I'm talking about? Little seed packets that have pictures of the fruit. You know what I'm talking about? We planted tomatoes and we planted cucumbers and we planted radishes and we planted onions and other vegetables. And I remember when she gave me the little seed packet, it had a picture of the beautiful, delicious, red, juicy tomatoes. And I said to her, is this what it's going to look like? And I was just a little boy. She said, yes, honey, this is what it's going to look like. And I was going up and down those rows, and I was planting seed, and I was doing exactly as she said. A day or two later, I came back out to that garden expecting to find tomatoes. But there weren't any. There was nothing, nothing but dirt. I said, how can this be? We put the seed in the ground. Where are the tomatoes? And I think that's a question that many Christians are asking today. Where are the miracles? And so what did I do as a little boy? I did what most Christians do today. I forgot about the seed. I went back in the house. I went back to my daily activities. I forgot about it. I did not go back out to check on it again. The days passed. The weeks passed. And one day my mother said, Richard... The garden is in. I said, what do you mean the garden is in? She said, come and see. And for the first time in a long time, I went with her back out behind our home to the little piece of property. And sure enough, there were the biggest, reddest, juiciest tomatoes you've ever seen. And, and we began to pick them. And there were so many, I couldn't hold them in my arms. And so we had to get a basket. And I said, is this what I planted? She said, yes. And she said, you think that's a lot. Look at the vine. Look at the tomatoes that are still on the vine. She said, some of the vegetables are in, but some of the vegetables are not yet in. 
And there's coming a harvest time for that, too. I'll tell you, as my dad and I sat there talking, that, that, that illustration came up to my mind, and I remembered. I remembered what I had done. I remembered how I had joined my mother in planting that garden. It was an amazing thing to see the seed come up. For when you're holding those big, red, juicy tomatoes in your hands, you know you've just seen a miracle. <coughs> the next time planting came, I was a little more excited. I think the reason why she showed me that little seed packet was that she knew I would rather be doing something else. She knew that I'd rather be out with the other boys in the neighborhood playing. And I think God knew that when planting time comes, it would not be something that we as Christians would be much interested in. We would rather be doing something else. But that experience marked my life, and I had not thought about it in many, many years until my mother's passing and my dad and I were sitting together in his living room, and he reminded me of that garden. And today, my mind goes back to that time. It goes back to when I was a little boy holding those red juicy tomatoes in my hand, knowing that it was harvest time. And as I look back, I shifted gears. What's the hardest thing for you in the principles of sowing and reaping? What's the hardest thing for you as a minister of the gospel? What's the hardest thing for you as a Christian? Look at this scripture again. What's the hardest thing? It's to get us to plant our seed and to get in the habit of it. It's been hard for me. How about you? Now, let's just be honest. It's hard. We preach it, but we've got to do it. There's one thing about saying it. There's something else about doing it. Why did Jesus say these words? He said these words because he knew we were human and he knew it would be difficult for us to plant our seed and then shift gears and expect a harvest. He knew that it would be difficult. And I'm reminded again of the times that I have said, Lord, where is my harvest? I didn't get it then. I didn't understand it then, but I understand it now. I had not shifted gears. I'd given up. I've done what many others have done. And I had become weary in my well-doing. I had forgotten Paul's words in Galatians 6, Be not weary in your well-doing, for you shall reap in due season if you faint not. I had forgotten that. I had not shifted gears. But Jesus knew that we would feel this way. He knew it would take time and that we would wonder where the harvest was. Many years ago, Canadian missionary went to southern Africa to preach the gospel. He preached and preached and preached and preached without one convert. Not one person came forward in his altar call. And after months and months and months and months of preaching, he was so discouraged that he would preach and preach the word of God and no one would commit their lives to Christ. Finally, as he was preparing to travel back home to Canada, to Canada as a failure, one young man came forward and gave his heart to Christ. 
He thought, I am still a failure. I've had only one convert in all of these years. He went back home to Canada in shame because only one person in all those months had given his life to Christ. He didn't know that the young man's name was Nicholas. He didn't know that God would call Nicholas to preach. He didn't know that young Nicholas would continue to preach and preach and the word of his testimony and the miracle in his life would grow throughout Southern Africa. They didn't know that the day would come when Nicholas Bingu would be known as the Billy Graham of Southern Africa. This Canadian missionary went home thinking he had failed, but he won someone who won tens of thousands. I'll tell you, my friends, we're going to have to learn how to shift gears, to go from the sowing to the level of expectation like never before. Why? Because it's getting worse out there. Have you noticed that? But we have the answer. Can you say amen? We've got to learn how to shift gears. And Jesus knew that about us. He knew we would have to learn how to shift gears. Now, look at that scripture in your Bible one more time. Look at it. Notice that Jesus does not mention seed. You will not find seed in that verse. The word seed, S-E-E-D, is not there. Because the seed is the going. The seed is the doing. The seed is the giving. The seed is the planting. Jesus said, truly, the harvest is great. Jesus looked beyond the seed sown and he saw the harvest. He saw it. Abraham, the Bible says, looked forward and saw the day and was glad. That was in a reference to where he was going to become the father of many nations. And yet here he was as a man nearly 100 years old, his wife nearly 90, and her barren, and his inability to produce a child, and God saying to him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. How is this possible with my, with my body in its deadness and her body in its deadness? How is it possible? And yet Abraham looked ahead and saw the day and was glad. Abraham learned how to shift gears from where he was to where he needed to be. And the one thing that I want to drive home to you today is that you've got to learn how to shift gears. Jesus looked beyond the seed and he saw the harvest. Then I remembered holding those red juicy tomatoes in my hands. And then I remember holding that little packet. My mother had given me that because she knew that I wouldn't understand. But when she showed me the little packet, I got a glimpse of the harvest. And when you get a glimpse of the harvest, it will change your thinking forever. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus is saying to you and me, stop looking at the seed and start looking at the picture. Stop looking at what you've sown and look to the harvest. Stop focusing on what you put in the ground. Stop focusing on the person that you've sown into and start looking to the Lord of the harvest. Did you notice what he calls himself in the scripture? He calls himself the Lord 
of the harvest. Say that out loud with me. He's the Lord of the harvest. Say that out loud. He's the That's what he calls himself. He doesn't call himself the Lord of the seed. He calls himself the Lord of the harvest. Say that out loud. He's the Lord. Don't look at him as the Lord of the seed. Yes, he established the seed time principle. We understand that. In Genesis 8.22, the Bible says that as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and there'll be harvest time. And you can't find a book in the entire Bible, all 66 books, where there is not the principle of sowing and reaping. It's throughout the Word of God. It's not just some isolated text. It's from cover to cover. But Jesus does not call himself the Lord of the seed. He instead calls himself the Lord of the harvest. Say that out loud. He's the Lord of the Are you paying attention to me? You see, you've got to get away from the seed that you've sown. Because that little seed that you have sown into the ground, scientists tell us, actually dies. And then it springs forth to life. Once you have sown your seed, your full attention has to move toward the harvest. Now, are you getting it? I'm telling you something that's revelational today. It's also revolutional in your life. If you'll get a glimpse of it, and if you'll get your eyes off the seed that you planted and focus on the harvest. You see, I had no idea just how big the harvest was going to be when I was a little boy planting those tomato seeds. But suddenly when I saw it, it gave me something that my father reminded me of many, many years later. And even now, it's beginning to revolutionize my life. It's time for us to shift gears. It's a big harvest. But look on at that scripture. Jesus said the laborers are few. I don't know about you. I've always wondered what that meant. I've always wondered what he meant when he said the laborers are few. Here's what I believe he means. I believe he means there are only a few who are in earnest about looking to the harvest. There's a remnant, in other words. And I believe you and I are part of that remnant, don't you? I believe that we are a part of that remnant. The laborers are few. There are only a few that shift and look to the harvest. He said the laborers are few. Well, what does he say next? Pray ye therefore, in other words, in light of this, in light of what I just said, in other words, in light of knowing that the laborers are few or there are only a few who look for it in earnest, in light of that, you pray. Don't wait for somebody else to pray. You pray. You pray, you who are sowing the seed, you pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Or in other words, Jesus is saying, I, the Lord of the harvest, I, the seed of David, I, whom God sent to the cross, I will multiply the seed sown. I will not let you down. I will bring your harvest, which you're looking to. And I go back to that day. When my mother said, let's go out and pick the tomatoes. The seed, now listen to this. If you miss, if you miss this, you've missed it all. The seed, when I went out there to that garden, the seed was not in the same shape as it was when I planted it. There had been a harvest. 
Something in the realm of the miraculous happened. My fellow ministers of the gospel, if you can grab this, if you can get hold of this, it will turn your ministry around. It will set your life on fire for God. For never again will you look backward at the seed you have sown. Once you sow it, you will turn forward and look to the harvest. Now, I should have known when I was a boy. Because in our home, our telephone would ring. And my mother would walk to answer it. And she would say, is this my miracle? Somebody would ring our door. And, and as she walked to the door, she'd say, is this my miracle? A letter would come to our home, and as she opened it, she would say, is this my miracle? She was practicing this. I was learning it in our home. She and my father lived in a state of expectancy. Now, when my wife was pregnant, and we went into the doctor, and, and they did the tests, and we found out that she was pregnant, she looked identical to when she walked in. And yet when she walked out, she said new words. She said, I'm expecting. You couldn't tell any difference on the outside. But something on the inside was beginning to happen. And it didn't matter if it was raining. It didn't matter if it was sleeting or snowing. It didn't matter if it was hot or cold. It didn't matter if the wind was blowing. It didn't matter what anybody thought or said. She was expecting. It didn't make any difference whether she was sleeping or not sleeping. She was expecting. Now, after a while, it became obvious that she was expecting. Anyone could figure that out, but at the beginning, you couldn't tell on the outside. But something was happening on the inside. Why? Because she had inside information. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in to give you inside information. That's like the little boy who ate the green apples. Did you hear about him? He ate the green apples and he got the stomach ache and his mother said, how do you know? He said, mom, I've got inside information. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gives you the inside information. Ministers of the gospel, if you'll catch hold of this, the next time you sow, and you sow it, then turn forward and say, I'm praying the Lord of the harvest to send me into his harvest. If you'll do it like I'm doing it, I'm telling you from the word of God, it will turn your life around. And you say, well, I need something because I'm in trouble. Well, there are a lot of people in trouble. But just because bad things happen does not mean that God has fallen off the throne. He is still God. Can you say amen? Well, come on, somebody give him a hand clap of praise. He's still God. But I've got news for you. The scripture says in the last days there'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars and there'll be earthquakes and, there, and that indicates other types of disasters and pestilence. We're living in the last days. It reminded me of a story that my grandfather, my dad's father told me when I was younger. 
My grandfather was a preacher and a farmer. And uh, he, he was of Welch descent. Roberts is a Welch name, just in case you didn't know that. And there was uh, Indian blood on my grandmother's side. And they got married, you see, and, uh, and produced my father and his uh, brothers and sister. And then, and then, and then I, I and my brothers and sisters came along. And now another generation under me and under my, the rest of my family. But my, my grandfather, Ellis Melvin Roberts, was a farmer and a pastor. He pastored and began 12 churches in our part of the country in his life. And he farmed. And they were down in the southeastern portion of our state in a county called Pontotoc County in the Ada, Oklahoma area. And one year, a terrible hailstorm hit the Roberts Farm and all the farms in that area of Ada. And the crop which was in the ground was absolutely destroyed. The hailstones were so big that it literally, they literally beat the paint off the house. It destroyed the entire crop. All that area, all those farmers in that area of Ada lost their crop. And my grandmother, Claudius Priscilla Roberts, was about this tall and about this wide. She came, and you had to know her. I, I, she didn't pass away till I was in my mid-twenties. I knew her very, very well. And she came out on the porch. She said, Ellis. He said, yes. He said, get that, or she said, get that $20 bill that you keep in the secret part of your wallet and take it out. He said, why? Now, my grandfather, you have to know, this, this, this was the 1920s. And my grandfather decided that he would never be broke. And so he kept a $20 bill in the secret compartment of his wallet. He had a secret compartment. And he kept a $20 bill in it so he would never be broke. Even if it seemed like he had no money, he'd always have that $20 bill. Now, this is the 1920s. She said, take that $20, hitch up the wagon, take these boys, go into town to Jeter's feed store, and buy seed. We're going to replant. Now, my grandfather knew it was too late in the season to replant. But he knew better than to argue with his wife, my grandmother. Because my grandmother could pick up a grown man and carry him under her arm. You just had to know her. He knew better than to argue with Claudius Priscilla Roberts. We have dormitories at ORU that are named after my grandparents. A dormitory for men named Ellis Roberts Hall and a dormitory for women, Claudius Roberts Hall. So I'm, I'm reminded of it every day as I drive on campus. And uh, so he and, uh, and my dad and my dad's brother Vaden got in the wagon and drove to town, pulled up in front of Jeter's feed store. Mr. Jeter came out. Hello, Brother Roberts. Mr. Jeter, I've got $20 here to buy seed to replant our farm. My grandfather said I felt like an absolute fool because there's no way $20 could buy enough seed to replant the entire farm. But my wife told me to come here and buy seed to replant. My grandfather said Mr. Jeter started to say, well, Mr. Roberts, I'm so sorry, but instead something hit him. He turned to his co-workers and said, you drive Brother Robert's wagon around behind back and you fill it with seed because they're going to replant. My grandfather said, I still felt like a fool going down the road with a load of seed when it's too late to plant. But I got news, God is the God. When it's too late to plant, he's still God.
Are you hearing me today? Are you with me? Come on, reach up and shift one more time. Come on, shift. I just want to make sure you're awake. I didn't come all the way to watch you sleep now, okay? You sleep on your own time, okay? They got back to the farm, and just like my grandmother had said, they replanted. Now you say, how? I don't know how. I don't care how. Nobody else of those farms replanted. Only the Roberts farm replanted. And only the Roberts farm got a harvest that season. How did it happen? I don't know how it happened. I don't care how it happened. It happened. They got a harvest. And I got a lesson. Some of you may need to replant. Some of you feel like your seed has been destroyed. And some of you need to replant. You know, I had never seen large hailstones. I'd heard about them. I'd heard my grandfather and my dad talk about how in southern Oklahoma, uh, you, they are more prone to have hailstorms than we are. When we get hailstones, we're up north of, Tul uh, of there in Tulsa. When we get hailstorms, they're smaller. They might be the size of a pea or the size of a coin, uh, but in, in generally they're not that big. Well, something happened this past May. This past May, for the first time in my life and in my memory in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we had a hailstorm with, with uh, hailstones as big as tennis balls. Now, I'd heard about it on the news, but I'd never seen it with my own eyes. I saw them. I saw hailstones as big as a tennis ball. Knocking out windows, knocking out cars, knocking out roofs. It did a number on the roofs on our campus. And we had a $100,000 deductible insurance policy. And I thought to myself, with all the damage that's done on our property, after the $100,000 deductible is paid and we had to pay it, how much is the insurance company really going to cover? You know how, do any of you ever have thoughts like that go through your mind? Any of you? Any of you say, yes, I've had a thought like that. I'm in a bunch of liars today. You, you. <laughs> and so they sent a person out to examine the roofs. And this person had the power to say to the insurance company, you're going to repair this, and you're going to repair this, and you're going to repair this, and you're going to repair this. Little did any of us know that the person that the insurance company sent just happened to have two daughters at Oral Roberts University. And he began to look around across the campus and go from roof to roof and say to the insurance company, you're going to fix this, 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 you're going to fix this. They've been working on it now for all, since May, and I've got news. Out of the $100,000 deductible, we got $3 million worth of new roofs. Now, what the devil sent for harm, God turned it around. Now, do you think your name has to be Roberts for that to happen? I mean, do you think that God has selected one family in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this will only work? Do you think that you have to have an American passport for it to work? I got news for you. He's God in the United Kingdom. 
He's God in Europe. He's God in Asia. He's God in Africa. He's God in South America. He's God. Well, don't get so excited about it. It's time for us to reach up and shift gears and move from the seed to the harvest. All these years, all those growing up years under my dad, all that has been sown into my life, all of it has prepared me for this moment to learn how to plant my seed like Jesus said and then focus on the harvest. Fellow ministers of the gospel, if you get this, if you live it, if you'll preach it, and I mean not just preach it to say, well, I wonder if this will work. But if you live it and do it and believe it, I promise you on the authority of that book, it has to work. For God is obligated to watch over his word. He is not obligated to watch over your word unless your word is in harmony with his word. But if your words are in harmony with his words, he is obligated. He has a responsibility. He has no choice. People say, well, you're just trying to manipulate God. Hogwash. You couldn't manipulate God if you tried. I don't care who you are, and I don't care if CNN or Sky News says it. It doesn't make a difference to me. You can't manipulate God. But if you do what he says, he is obligated. He's got no choice. Now, reach up one more time. You'll never forget this as long as you live. Now, shift. Come on. Now, start up here and say, I've planted my seed. Now I'm shifting gears and I'm focusing on the harvest. Stand up with me for a minute. I was praying about you, asking the Lord what he would have me do today. And I had a number of other things that I thought I would share with you. I'm not going to share this tonight. I had a lot of things planned, but God had the plan. And as I was praying last night when I got into bed, the Lord said, this is what I want you to share. I said, okay, I'll do it. With all the sincerity of my heart, I'm telling you, it works. It's working for me. And God is no respecter of persons. If it will work for me, it will work for you. It is so simple that we in our complex minds overlook it. We say it can't be that simple. There must be some mathematical formula. No, there's God's formula. And if you'll do this as I am doing it, 
it will transform your ministry. And if you'll teach it to your people, it'll transform your church. It'll transform their lives. And they in turn will preach it and teach it and other lives will be transformed. I told you I didn't come to give you three points in a poem. I came to give you my best. Tonight, I'll also be about my father's business. Tonight, I believe we're going to see many outstanding miracles, signs, and wonders. That's why I came. But I came to deposit something in you as a minister of the gospel. And if you'll take it, and what does the Bible say? The violent take it by force. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I'm not talking about terrorists. I'm talking about taking things of God into your lives. The violent take it by force. If you'll take this, if you'll shift gears and look to the Lord of the harvest, your life will be transformed. I can't think of anything greater that I can give you than this message today. God's already shown me what I'm to do tonight. I'm prepared. And when the time comes tonight, you can just expect I'll be on go. I'm ready. I was born, my wife said I was born ready. And there'll be many mighty works of, of God tonight, many outstanding miracles of healing. And people will know that God's a live God. He's not a dead God. Can you say amen? Now I want you to join hands with the person next to you. And I want you to pray this out loud after me. Father, the harvest is truly great. But the laborers are few. Send me into your harvest. As I plant seed, my love, my time, my money, my prayers, a smile, a good word, a pat on the back, a helping hand. As I sow it, I look to the Lord of the harvest. And you're obligated to watch over your word. I look to you. I no longer look at the seed I've sown. I look to the Lord of the harvest. I shift gears. And from this moment, I'll never look backward again. I'll look forward to the mighty harvest God has for me. In Jesus' name. Now somebody give praise unto the Lord today. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Give him honor. Give him glory. Come on, give him praise today. I look to you, you're the Lord of the harvest. Now lift your hands unto him. Father, I commit this time now and this message into your hands. I have deposited it into the lives of these fellow ministers of the gospel. Now let it shine through them. 
And as it spreads, let it grow in people's lives like wildfire. For the kingdom's sake, in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we take authority over the service tonight. We think of those who are ill and infirm that are coming for the healing prayer of faith tonight. We lift them up unto you. Thank you that tonight your angels will be surrounding this place, walking the aisles, protecting the miracles. Thank you that Satan has been bound and rebuked and will have no part in this service tonight. Thank you, Lord, that everything said and done in the healing rally tonight through Michael Reed's ministries is, is, is ordered of you. I bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Come on, give a shout of praise to the Lord. Bishop. Amen. You know, our God is a good God. Thank you, Richard, for that. You know, God is intending us to succeed not to fail and I believe it I believe that the 72% of people in this country who acquiesce to the gospel are going to end up in our churches I don't see why we shouldn't have them do you? Uh, we need to just get out there and say hey you know there, there are people who have life 